know him well. The former congressman, Peter King, served 14 terms, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, also, a member in his day of the Homeland Security Committee and a chair of the Subcommittee on Counterterrorism and Intelligence. Always great to have him back on the program. The aforementioned Pete King. Uh, congressman, how you been? All right, everything good? And a very happy New Year to you. I'm doing great. And, uh, a little bit late, but happy New Year. Great having you. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you, this, uh, this George Santos thing, if you were uh, still there in Washington, sir, would you be calling for him to step aside? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, listen, he was duly elected, uh, but obviously, uh, because of your fraudulent statements he made, uh, I think that the main way, the main reason to reject him, apart from the fact that everything he did was morally wrong, but to set a, you know, the right precedent uh, is the fact, uh, to me, there's definitely evidence of federal crimes as far as with any type of money laundering uh, on the uh, financial disclosure forms he had to submit on his campaign reports. How do you uh, not account for $750,000 suddenly appearing? I mean, here's a guy who was apparently evicted from his apartment in Queens just a couple of years before, actually evicted twice, I guess. And he was making about $50,000 a year, and suddenly he has $750,000 to contribute to his own campaign. And uh, where did that money come from? Uh, to me, the whole, first, everything about him is a fraud. But the actual reasons to eject him, you have to find some legal reasons. I think the main legal reasons are going to be filing uh, a fraudulent document you know, with the federal government. I commend uh, Nassau County Chairman Joe Cairo for holding that massive press conference yesterday with virtually every elected official in Nassau County saying that they would no longer recognize George Santos, no longer work with him. And then I understand Jesse Garcia joined later on, the Suffolk County Republican Chairman. Listen, this was a horrible, horrible thing that Santos did. Uh, it uh, reflects badly on the entire political system, the governmental system. And so I uh, definitely, definitely would say that he should resign. If not, be, if not resign, somewhere in the next several months, the Ethics Committee has concluded an investigation and uh, called for him to be ejected from the House. In the meantime, we know that there's federal and state investigations and county investigations going on. So he really is a dead man walking. Yeah, and I think uh, the pressure uh, will get a little too much for this guy without question. Listen, this is a lead story on national newscasts. Even Anderson Cooper led off with Bruce Blakeman as a guest last night, Congressman, on his program. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me, and you know, you mentioned Cairo and company calling for this guy to step up, step away. Listen, I was somewhat lenient. The embellishment, you know, the work stuff education, give him a little bit of a pass when it comes to the campaign. I mean, it just got too heavy for me. And thus, yours truly here calling for him as well. Uh, for the sake of all, uh, for him to resign. You know, it's interesting to me, the new House Speaker hasn't been as uh, prolific in response. You'd like to maybe get a little something out of Kevin McCarthy. And listen, I don't want to politicize this, but you know McCarthy's thinking of that as far as the overall majority is concerned in Washington. But you'd like to You'd like to see Kevin McCarthy take a little more of a stance here, no? Yeah, listen, in the short term, Kev, you know, Kevin McCarthy feels he needs the Santos vote. And let's just say politically he's right in the short term. The long-term damage to the Republican Party from that could be uh, monumental. Right here in Long Island, I mean, basically every congressional district is marginal. At one time or another, a Democrat has held each of these districts, a Republican has held each of these districts, even Lee Zeldin, as strong as he was, he would usually win his races by one, two, or three points. Uh, yet Kathleen Rice was in office for a long time. Tom Swazi, Steve Israel, George Hockbrock. Now, we can go back over the years. I mean, these are 
districts that go back and forth. Uh, again, the, the most part, they are marginal districts. And uh, we won the last time Republicans won all four seats on Long Island because we were able to show that we were the party of you know hardworking people, people in the neighborhoods, people in the communities. And now they come along and they see we've uh, nominated and elected a con man. And for us to be silent, I mean, that could put all of the seats of Long Island at risk. I'm just talking about you know, the politics of it. Morally and ethically, to me, uh, Kevin McCarthy should be moving. But also, listen, it was New York. It was New York that gave the Republicans their margin. It was the seats that were picked up in New York State and mostly downstate New York, which gave uh, Kevin McCarthy the margin he needed to be elected speaker. And all of those Republicans stood by him during that entire fight. If he loses those seats, the whole I think the whole House is going to be gone. So, listen, he should run the risk of whatever's going to happen in uh, the 3rd District of New York, which I think we would hold on to anyway in a special election. But apart from that, the right thing to do is to cut all ties with this guy, Santos. Absolutely. No question. And it's going to get to the point where uh, Anthony Esposito, newly elected in the 4th, is going to be called upon uh, by many officials. Blakeman made it very public last night that he is, you can't trust uh, Santos if he needs federal assistance of some kind here. He's going to call on the guy who's holding that fourth congressional seat, Anthony Desposito, there. So, uh, in essence, you know, this has a reverberating effect uh, throughout there. So that's when it becomes uh, serious stuff here, you know. It is a question uh, of whether or not you like George Santos, whether or not he's, no one's going to trust him. No one is going to trust him. 100%, Congressman. You're right. You can't possibly call on this guy and, and you know, know that he's going to do the job. And and that's why, for the good of all, as you mentioned, this guy should just step aside and get some help. He needs help. Obviously, he needs help. Uh, so uh, we'll see. You know what's amazing to me, though? Uh, he ran against Swazi a couple of years ago. Why was this not picked up in the vetting? Pro- I mean, the vetting process has to be looked at overall now. But why was it, in your estimation, a couple of years ago? Yeah, uh, all I can think of is that Tom Schwazi, you know, was so confident he was going to win, they didn't bother doing a background search on Santos this time around. Uh, apparently, in papers like the North Shore Leader, uh, you know, there was some reference uh, made to all these incidents. But, you know, Robert Zimmerman, who's a friend of mine, and he's actually a, like a, a top advertising executive, you would have thought that he could have uh, used these issues in a series of ads that would have been devastating. Now, since, uh, I mean, uh, Robert Zimmerman, what he did do was just relied on the Democratic arguments of Trump and abortion. That's all basically what he campaigned on. And, you know, people were tired of hearing of that. that. That was not having any real impact. This would have had an impact. It would have cut through uh, all the, you know, the standard political talk that was going on. So uh, I would say that uh, Robert, again, who's a friend of mine, I think he dropped the ball on this one. Tom Swazi, he was so certain he was going to win that he probably didn't bother doing opposition research on Santos. And Tom did win by 12 points. Uh, but this time around, uh, uh, I guess everyone was caught short. Now, you know, the reasons the Republicans didn't necessarily pick up on it in Nassau County, is Santos was uh, originally recommended by the Queens Republican Party in 2020. It was a top-heavy Democratic district. Nobody from Nassau or Suffolk uh, was looking to run. Santos wanted to run. He was saying he had all his money, and uh, he could finance it. He was very committed conservative, he said. So he got the nomination. And uh, then in 2022, he was again the only one looking for the nomination because it was considered a very secure Democratic seat. In fact, the way it was reapportioned, it became even more Democratic, going all, all the way up to the Bronx and to Westchester. 
and it was a totally Democratic district, and Sanchez was the only guy asking for it. And at the last minute, the Court of Appeals changed the lines and made it at least a, a uh, very competitive district. And uh, But, again, Sanchez had the nomination, so he stayed there. So he sort of backed into it. It was uh, uh, Cairo accepted him in the first place because he was recommended by Queens. There <clears throat> was no one else. Then next time around, there was also nobody else. By the time the lines were redrawn, it was too late to bring in another candidate. And Sanchez went along. And, uh, you know, again, it's one thing to lie. <clears throat> it's always wrong. Don't get me wrong. But the person exaggerates. If they say they graduated from a certain school, but they only, let's say, finished seven semesters, Rather than eight, okay, it's an exaggeration, but at least there's some uh, element of truth to it. In this case, there's nothing. He never went to any of these schools, never worked for any of these companies, and never, was never involved in any of these businesses. His family was never Jewish. They never escaped the Holocaust. I mean, look, the whole list. Uh, I saw yesterday that uh, Blockbuster put out a statement saying apparently he told people he worked for Blockbuster. And the Human Resources Department went through every, every record and finds no instance of him ever rec- uh, working for Blockbuster. So it's just his whole life is a lie. And uh, you, your beloved Mets, he even stated he played center field at Shea State. I'm only kidding <laughs> on that one. But, I mean, you can get a sense of, of all the prevaricators out there, Santos, yeah. at the top of the charts. Now, to make it very clear, Congressman, he has, you have to have a two-thirds vote at the House, right, uh, to, for things to get started, and then you have a special election, correct, if he steps yeah. away? Is that what it is? Yeah, and I think the only way you're going to get it to a vote in the House, I think, is that the Ethics Committee should conduct uh, you know, pretty quick hearings. There's no need to go into great detail here. Uh, have the Ethics Committee, and then you know, they can make a recommendation that he be removed, and you would get two-thirds, sounds like a lot, but you would get you know, 100% of the Democrats. That's basically 49% of the House right there. And I think half the Republicans would also go with it. So it shouldn't be that difficult to get the two-thirds once, once there's an Ethics Committee hearing. But they can't drag it out. They can't just slow walk this thing for a year and a half. Question, former Congressman Pete King with us for a couple of minutes here on a on a Thursday morning. Congressman, were you surprised as far as everything that went down with McCarthy and trying to get him in that Speaker's post, 15 ballots in all, and a couple of Long Island congressmen. We had one of them on yesterday. Uh, one who uh, preceded you, and that uh, being Andy Garbarino. You know, he said, you know what, we're not adjourning till Monday. He, uh, he and Nick Lelota said, we're doing another vote here. 15th one proved to be the right one for McCarthy. Were you surprised at that whole process or no? Well, first of all, let me say at the end, I'm really proud of Andrew Garbarino, Nick Lelota, uh, Anthony D'Esposito. They did the right thing. Uh, and was I surprised? Uh, I was disappointed, to put it that way. Uh, under the House rules, <clears throat> you know, you have to have... Uh, a uh, majority vote, everybody working. In the past, the last uh, 170 years, whatever it is, except for once, I guess in the 1850s, and then again in uh, 1923, basically the majority party held their own conference. They decided who they were supporting, and everyone got behind that one person. You never had a small group except in 1923, and I guess 1856, uh, actually hold out and try to uh, basically hijack the House. So I knew some of those 19 to 20 people who were holding out, uh, there was only a handful of them that I really had much respect for. The others are the real, almost dead-ended types. And uh, so this gave them their moment of fame. This was their, you know, a minute in the spotlight. But that they would do that, to me, it was, it was dangerous. It was a terrible precedent to set. I'm glad Kevin McCarthy stuck it out. It's not going to be easy for him because when they have this rule they've gone back to now that it only takes one person 
to demand a vote on whether or not the speaker remains in office or he can vacate his chair. And that, that's going to be hanging over every tough vote that's coming up. And when you're in a, uh, if you're a minority party in government, and Republicans, we control the House, but Democrats control the Senate, <clears throat> and they control the presidency, every tough bill is going to be concessions on both sides. Whatever concessions Kevin McCarthy gets Republicans will be very good. But I know that uh, this, this crowd, this, uh, 18, 19, and 20 of them, they're going to look for everything in there that's not a concession and say that's why we should remove Kevin McCarthy. And the fact is, when you were in the minority, uh, it was Chip O'Neill with Ronald Reagan. He realized he had to make concessions. He fought hard for the Democrats. In the end, they ended up uh, you know, voting for the, you know, the best compromise they could come up with. Uh, this time around, I think the art of compromise is gone. Bipartisanship is gone. And Kevin McCarthy's going to have that hanging over his head. And what that means is, can mean, is the government being shut down. And government shutdown has always worked badly for Republicans and worked badly for the country. So it's going to be tough times ahead. We need complete unification after the last couple of years. You know, you would expect this party to kind of come together and fall at the start of the year. It did not. And thus what we have seen over the last uh, week or so there. So uh, we'll see how that uh, unravels. How serious do you consider the latest regarding Joe Biden uh, and his legal team finding uh, another batch of classified uh, records, uh, Congressman King, following the initial discovery of classified info documents, we should say, at his former uh, think tank office there in Washington this past fall. Uh, how serious do you consider it, considering, you know, the materials, intelligence there, briefing memos about Ukraine, Iran, the U.K., uh, you know, some of these docs uh, were top secret. That's the highest of levels. How about that? Yeah, obviously there was carelessness there. Uh, I, again, I don't know how often this goes on. I mean, if you do go back to President Obama or President Bush, for that matter, is there the occasional document that's misplaced? Could well be. I don't know. Uh, if, if it's true that once uh, Biden's people realized that they you know, contacted the archives, contacted the Justice Department, that was, you know, that was appropriate. Uh, I think that uh, it was oh, definitely overreaction to have the FBI go in and raid President Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago. To me, it was a, a real abuse of power. Now, Donald Trump made it worse for himself by basically not cooperating. But, uh, you know, there's not even any criminal sanctions for this law. <clears throat> basically, it just says that you have to turn it over. And I don't even know if there's a fine that's allowed or anything. So uh, I, I think there's an overreaction here by uh, you know, the Justice Department when it came to President Trump. I don't think this will be getting anywhere near the publicity of President Biden if it was not for what happened with President Trump. And that's where Joe Biden, he hurt himself by being so arrogant, so self-righteous. He can't understand how this would ever happen. It's beyond him. Meanwhile, he apparently, unknown to himself maybe, had done the same thing. So I would hope they can resolve it quickly. There's so many important issues facing the country. I don't think Joe Biden had any ulterior evil motive in doing this. I don't think President Trump did. In fact, I hate to say this, but I don't know if President Trump ever read some of those reports in the first place, never mind later on. Uh, but, again, it was, I would say, somewhat irresponsible on President Trump's part, careless on Joe Biden's part. But I hope they can bring all this to an end. There's so many issues right now affecting the country. Uh, and, again, unless they can show some evil intent or show any damage done, Hopefully this will be a warning to all future presidents and that, you know, we can just go on with the country. King with us, you know, I've always considered you one of the best ever regarding Homeland Security issues. You served on the committee. You were chair of the subcommittee on counterterrorism and intelligence. 
With that being said, you get a guy like Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, who does nothing but lie, Congressman King. He's lied for a long time. Now, listen, we know he's covering up for this administration with all that's happening at the border here. But I think one of the first pieces of business, and I said this to Andy Garbarino yesterday, is to get him out, start proceedings. Get him out. He's a dangerous man, in my estimation. With all that's coming on at the border, the fentanyl coming in left and right, do you have that similar feeling? Yeah, I, I do. And generally, I'm somebody who does not favor impeachment. That's be a weapon of last resort. I voted against Clinton's impeachment, against Trump's impeachment. Having said that, I think this is one instance where impeachment is necessary when it comes to Mayorkas. Uh, for one thing, it will bring out all of the uh, uh, negligence, all of the irresponsibility of the Department of Homeland Security, and will send a signal that we're not going to tolerate this, this type of just refusal to enforce the law. And this is serious business. Uh, you know, letting people come across the border to the extent they are with fentanyl, and there's more people killed every year from fentanyl that have been killed in virtually I think, every war from the Korean War through today. And this is just in every year this is happening now. So this is a national security threat. Uh, we do know that, for instance, countries like China can weaponize what's happening with immigration. And that's, that's uh, a real concern I have. And to me, it's a disgraceful, indefensible behavior by my office and the Department of Homeland Security, which is probably just taking orders from the White House. There's an added element here, though. The Department of Homeland Security was set up after 9-11. To me, its main focus should, should still be on Islamist terrorism coming into the United States. They're still there. ISIS is still there. Al-Qaeda is still there. They are still plotting. So not only is uh, uh, Mayorkas ignoring the southern border, which is the responsibility of Homeland Security, they're virtually silent. When's the last time you heard a word from them about the uh, terrorist threat to this country, which is the reason the department was set up in the first place? So I just think he's been a failure. The department under his leadership has been a failure. And the Biden administration's uh, duties when it comes to homeland security, they have failed terribly. That's why this uh, recent uh, circus-type trip to El Paso is is a joke uh, by Joe Biden, in my estimation. He was actually there, I give him credit, two and a half hours more than the czar was in Kamala. But in essence, you know, what do you expect to be done? Goes into Mexico City, you know, has this plan allowing 30,000 in, monthly basis. We're going to have to vet them very carefully. He says, come on, who's going to believe that nonsense? I mean, this guy needs to take a firm stand. This is the number one issue right now as far as America is concerned. Fentanyl coming in, the amount of gotaways in play here, the encounters over his two years of reign. I'm sorry. Uh, this is number one. He has yet to address it in full. Nothing but a sham of a trip, in my estimation, over the last couple of days, Congressman. Do you have a similar feeling or no? Yeah, no. In fact, it was an insult to people's intelligence. Uh, first of all, the fact that he was going to such a sanitized portion of the border, where there was not an illegal immigrant to be found, where everything looks clean and calm and under control, when we know the border has been chaotic and disastrous for weeks and months, and now really for the you know, two years of the uh, Biden administration. So that insults people's intelligence. Then you go to Mexico and have like this feel-good meeting. And, you know, when he talks about immigration reform, and I hate to make this partisan, but when the Democrats talk about immigration reform, basically means one way to get rid of illegal immigration is to declare all, all the illegals legal, <clears throat> to give them amnesty, to let them stay here. And, uh, listen, I'm in favor of even if you want to work toward an amnesty in the future, but do nothing at all until the border is shown to be secure. Because once you start giving amnesty or allowing people to stay, 
that's going to encourage more illegal immigration, and if the border is not secure, the situation is going to be worse at the end than it was at the beginning. So if they're serious and they want to somehow uh, allow any people to stay in this country, that can't even be considered until we show that the border is airtight. And uh, I see no thought of that, no uh, possibility of that happening in the Biden administration. When he became president, and one of the first things he said, and even during his campaign, basically welcoming people, come on in. Well, they came in, and now we can't stop them, and he's trying to cover himself somehow. No, this is, this is shameful. Running uh, Ukraine, you know, you look at this war uh, ongoing uh, right now, going into the 11th month, uh, and, you know, I look at... Uh, I look at something that's not really being talked about enough, and that are the the Russian war crimes, uh, Congressman King. They've been building up the human rights abuses all during this confrontation. you got a litany of violations of uh, international humanitarian law, in my estimation. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, we don't see an end in sight. You know, the inflicting civilian suffering, repeated strikes on the energy infrastructure that Ukrainians depend on uh, for electricity, water, heat, of course, tough times weather-wise right now as well. I mean, that is a central part of Putin's strategy and has been. And uh, you wonder exactly the end game here. And again, the confidence in this present administration is nil and void in my thought process here. Uh, so what do we do? When does it end? Uh, is there an end game to all of this complete catastrophic instance? Well, I would, I would say first that I doubt very much that Russia would have invaded Ukraine if we did not have, not have the disastrous pullout from Afghanistan. That encouraged Russia, and the, uh, they, they lost respect for the Biden administration, and that, I think, is definitely what encouraged the Russia invasion of Ukraine. Similarly with China. China, listen, with all of President Trump's faults, the fact is China was not moving when he was the president. Then we see them now, they're threatening Taiwan, they're basically expanding all over the world. But as far as Ukraine, no, and I'm, uh, to me, you know, you know, the war crimes there are terrible. The human rights uh, abuses by Russia are terrible. The courage shown by Ukraine is incredible. I mean, I don't know anyone who would have said a year ago, February or March, that Ukraine was going to be able to hold out more than a few weeks. Uh, I mean, remember, we were offering uh, Zelensky a, a jet escape out of uh, Kiev. Uh, that was basically you know, the, uh, what we could do for him was you know, to get him out of there. And he stayed. I, mean, I guess it was about a week after the war started. And suddenly you saw Zelensky appearing in that uh, green T-shirt of his. People couldn't believe he was still alive. And he was able to actually walk the streets of Kiev. Now he's traveling around the world. The, 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 the courage that the people in that country have shown to me, is uh, phenomenal. And yet, it really bothers me that people in the Republican Party are trying to undermine you know, the support that we're giving Ukraine. I mean, this, this is terrible. The fact is that uh, uh, it's in our national interest. Uh, putting aside uh, the abuses against Ukraine, put aside the human suffering that Russia is inflicting on Ukraine, it's in America's national interest to stop Russian aggression. If Russia was able to take over Ukraine, then not only do you have the Baltic states then going to be next, but they are going to become a dominant force in Europe because they will control energy and they will have the military. And you'll see countries like Germany acquiescing to Russia, maybe countries like France. Not that they'll be occupied, I don't mean that, but they'll go come within Russia's sphere of influence. And when it comes to economics and others, 
the United States is going to be uh, basically cut out or cut short. So, no, this is in our national interest to stop this now. And also, at the same time, when they're talking about cutting the defense budget, while China is rapidly increasing its defense budget and has forces all over the world, their Navy, their Air Force, and economically, there is Central America, South America, Africa, Europe. I mean, they, they have a long-term view, and that's uh, it's, you're rapidly accelerating, including invading Taiwan. So we should be standing together as one, not be talking about having to cut defense. Listen, any waste, fraud, abuse, obviously, you cut that. Anything that's unnecessary, cut that. But it's important that we stand with Ukraine on this because it's our interest. It's also important that we stand with Taiwan against China because that's in our interest in the Pacific. If we walk away from Taiwan, watch what Japan does, what South Korea does, what Singapore does, what the Philippines do. They will become just closer and closer to China, isolating us more, not just militarily, but also economically. And then you got the maniac in North Korea. That would signal him as well to have to play with his toys. Absolutely. So in essence, yep. uh, you can get a sense here. It's like a pinball machine. Listen, before we let you go, the most important question of this morning uh, has to do has to do with uh, Carlos Correa, who signed his contract, who passed his physical. Could have been a Met. How bad did you feel that this guy is not going to play third base for your team? The all-important question of the morning. The only good thing is he gives me an opportunity now to try out with the Mets. Maybe I can get their third base spot. No, that that that, that was really a heartbreak. I mean, that to me was well, you know Steve Cohen really closed the deal and he said we had Cohen. You would have had a basically an all star or potential all star at almost every position with the Mets. Certainly a excellent player at every position. Korea is you know one of the superstars of today. And uh, wow, the fact I I I'd like to find out the backstory how this went wrong. Uh, and, you know, there must be definitely something wrong with his ankle. Because he ended up signing a contract, I was going to say, only $200 million, But, you know, $200 million was going to be 350 or so with the Mets. Uh, and even uh, Minnesota had offered him, I guess, 285 a few months ago. So there is something wrong with how that mistake was made. Uh, I, I don't know Steve Cohn personally, but from what I've seen and read, I still wouldn't be surprised if some blockbuster deal doesn't come along. Uh, that he feels he has to make up for this and he's got to, strengthen the Mets, so uh, he's probably out there looking. I don't know how the time frames work now. I don't know exactly what you know what the story is, how how often, how long free agents are available. But I think if something can be done, Steve Cohen will. No, but that, that was a real disappointment. I was already trying to buy my World Series tickets. Now I don't know. It, uh, it, you don't look too far. Maybe get Brian Reynolds out of the Pirates, so we'll see. But uh, I'll tell you, it's all about the money. I said yes, it's always about the money. Mets guaranteed him $160 million. He goes to Mini for two for 200 Could be as much as 270 It's always about the cash. Listen, if he really wanted to play for a winner, you go with the Mets. They're going to win every right. year, it seems, right now. You know, Guaranteed, they're going to go to the World Series eventually. The Twins, they never have a chance having lost 18 playoff games in a row, by the way. So, in essence, it's always about the cash. Nobody ever missed that. I will admit to having you on the program is always a delight, and I look forward to the next time. How's that, my friend? That is great. Absolutely looking forward to it. Pete King, ladies and gentlemen, the former congressman, 14 years serving on the House of Representative Floor in tremendous fashion. You stay well, and a very happy New Year to you and yours. There you go. Congressman Pete King checking in.